0: Revelation chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 18. Now, I'm going to try to read it properly, remember? Hear now God's word. To the angel and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze, as when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, pray for your Spirit to be our teacher, for us to learn and grow, and for you to block the enemy. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... I want to ask you, and I know the answer to this before I ask it, is there anybody here who can't find to do everything you're supposed to time to do everything you're supposed to do? We live such fast lives in America. We live rapidly all the time and it had never slowed down uh, for me or for uh, probably for you too. Our children are involved in so many things. and if you have grandchildren, you of course find out that they're involved in so many things too. Uh, Some of us have jobs that require us to work extra hours. And there are some of us who are members of particular groups, clubs and things. And since nobody else will do it, we'll take on the extra job. And we find ourselves putting in lots of hours there. And on and on I could go. And it seems like church seems to be the one that gets short shrift. I'm going to tell you tonight... How to solve this problem of divided loyalty. I've got a sentence for you right at the end that I hope you'll even write down because it's the answer on how to solve this rigmarole and rat race that we all live. One word describes the Thyatiraan church. You know, we see every night or every time we've looked at it, there's a word that seems to sum up the church, and the word tonight is commerce, commerce, business, There were no special geographical features of this church. It's located in a valley. It wasn't famous for anything in particular, but boy, did they have the trade. There was a lot going on business-wise in this town. It was controlled by something called trade guilds. The business was controlled by trade guilds, and those were sort of a cross between a chamber of commerce and a labor union. They were very, very important in the Thyratiran culture. And we're going to see that they were part of the real problem that the Christians had there. We don't know who started it. We do find it mentioned, though, in the 16th chapter of Acts. And this is worth reading. I hope you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And let's look down at verse 14. Now, I want to tell any of you that aspire to the ministry, probably nobody here does, but if there's anybody here that thinks they want to be a preacher, there are three sermons in what we're fixing to read. See if you can pick them up. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, there are three very interesting subjects there, and we could have a conference on each one of them. The first one, of course, is God's sovereign electing grace. Did you see the text? It said the Lord opened her heart. That's one. Uh, The next one. Uh, that we could spend some time thinking about is that there was a household baptism there you have to assume there were children in a household and so by good and necessary inference which is a good part of reformed hermeneutics hermeneutics is the science of interpretation of the Bible and by good and necessary inference which is a principle of hermeneutics we have to assume there were children there and babies little children And then the third thing that's here, of course, is that she practiced gracious hospitality. She opened her home. Now, she was probably in heaven when this letter was written to the church in Thyatira because what I just read to you in Acts happened 40 years before the scripture lesson that I read to you in Revelation. Well, he starts out just like he always does with the word of self characterization. He describes himself. You see it in verse 18, and you see it in verse 23. Verse 18 To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are burnished bronze. And then in the second part of verse 23, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. What does he mean when he says he has eyes like flaming fire? I think he means that he has eyes like uh, 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 a flaming fire. Eyes that burn away the dross and get to the bottom of things. Eyes that penetrate to the heart and to the intellect. In other words, he says... I know you folks in Thyatira down to the bottom of your feet. I know you very well. You can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool me because I've got eyes that are on fire and they see everything. <clears throat> this is taught all through the Bible. And it's a, it's an important thing to remember. We know this intellectually, but we surely live as if we didn't know it we think we can hide things and get away and that God doesn't see I cannot remember well, I don't know why I can't remember these. I can remember the songs I can't remember who sang them uh, no one knows it, what goes on behind closed doors who sang that one it wasn't Charlie Rich who was it it was Charlie Rich okay good I got that one right I'm going to live in Nashville I got to get better at this no one knows who goes on, what goes on behind closed doors God does We close the doors and we do things in private and think nobody's seeing us, and he sees every bit of it. He knows. Let me prove to you how that can make a difference. It's very easy to get you to see the point. You're driving down the highway, clipping along at about 80, and all of a sudden, there he is. What do you do? You hit your brake pedal. (laughs) Why? Because you realize somebody has been watching you. And it's somebody that can do something to you. Somebody that can get in your pocketbook. And he can tell you that you've been speeding because he's got you on radar. And because he's been watching you and you didn't know it, you suddenly change your behavior. If we believe that really about God, really, I think we would perhaps live live differently. Sometimes I think we worship as if uh, we don't really believe that. But somewhere in the dark corner of our hearts, we stash things that we don't want anybody to know. We try to hide mean and ugly things. It's foolish. I want you to see that. Turn with me. These are three verses worth remembering. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 15. Ah, You who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? And then Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And then... Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We may not like to admit this, but it's a powerful incentive to holy living. Remember, he is the Christ with the eyes on fire. And he sees us down to the bottom of our feet. He also says he has feet Not just eyes, he says in that same verse at the beginning of the letter, he says he has feet of burnished bronze. Now what is burnished? Polished bronze. The people to whom he was writing would would get it. Because you see, Thyatira was famous for its bronze works. And this statement, of course, goes with the prior one. I have eyes to see what you're doing, and with my feet I'm going to come and punish you. He says his feet are burnished or polished because they are pure and righteous. He is saying, when I trample you underfoot, it will be pure, righteous, and sensible. What? Who said anything about getting trampled underfoot? Does that sound like Jesus? I believe we have here a picture of an angry, irate Christ whose holiness has been offended He is not soft-spoken. He is about to bring judgment. There is a picture of a foot lifted, and you hear that old expression, when the other shoe fell, when the other foot dropped, when the other shoe dropped. That's what you've got here. He is, is a picture of a foot ready to stomp someone to death who doesn't repent. We need to take heed. Christ doesn't like it when we play around with grace. I'm going to show you what he means by that in just a minute. He doesn't appreciate it one bit. And we all need to be careful lest we find his foot of judgment coming down on our heads. Now, in this letter he has a word of commendation before he gives the word of condemnation. And the word of commendation is in verse 19. Chapter 3 and verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. He tells us that though he has got to speak judgment, it is from a heart full of love. He's willing to give credit where credit is due. And he lays out four principles. He says, I know four things that are going on well in your church that are, you're, doing, you're doing very well. You have love, you have faith, you have service, and you have perseverance. You have genuine unity. You have harmony. You get along. Your family. You have systematic you have a, a, a daily way of exercising your faith and trust. You do it continually. You don't just talk it, you live it out. You serve. You have service. And when things get tough in the church and when things are dismal and dark, and you keep on going, you persevere. Those are four goals that a good church ought to have. Four things that, are, that would be wonderful to have in a, a motto or a slogan for a church. And he says more. He says in the second part of verse 19, he says, You're getting better. You're progressing. You're stronger now than when you started. That tells us something. Christianity is a growing faith. Progress is inherent. And if there's not growth going on, you have to wonder if the real thing is present. Picture the New Testament theological terms for Christian growth. We are said to be babes in Christ when we first come to know Him. But As the book of Hebrews tells us, we're not to remain babes. We're not to keep drinking milk, but we're to begin to take in the meat of the word. So we go from infancy to adulthood. Think of what Jesus said. He said, we're like vines, and we grow until we produce fruit. Or think about what is written in one of the epistles where he talks about the smelting process, where there is a refining process. And the dross is burned away from us and we get better and stronger and more godly and more holy. That is the normal way of life for a Christian. It's not always that way. There are some ups and downs, but the progress inherently is little by little upward. And if that's not happening in our lives, in your life, in my life, something's wrong. Do I have down times? Of course I do. But am I a better Christian than I was 10 years ago? I believe I am. I hope that's true for you. Well, let's get to the hard part. The word of condemnation. This is a scorching, harsh word. Look at verse 20. Revelation 3 and verse 20. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. He says, you tolerate Jezebel. Now, who was Jezebel? You know. She was that wicked, wicked queen in the Old Testament that gave Elijah fits. She was a cruel despot. Now, is he saying that literally that Jezebel has come to be in the church at Thyatira? No. What, he's using uh, symbolic or metaphorical language here, and he's saying... There's a woman there that is so bad that she's like Jezebel. Uh, There was one person guilty of this, but Jezebel was not her real name. He's speaking symbolically. It's the same way sometimes when you've worked in the nursery in the church and there's been somebody in there who is a holy terror and you don't know what to do with this child and so you just kind of get through it. And later on says, <laughs> how was it working in the nursery today? And you say, well, it was okay, but you know, so-and-so, he's a little Hitler. And you just mean, you couldn't control him. He was bad or she was bad. And uh, it, was, it was not a good experience. That's the sense of the language here. There's a very wicked person, and I'm just going to call her, uh, he says, I'm going to call her Jezebel. What was her doctrine? Well, in essence, it was the same thing that you see a lot of places. It was immorality and idolatry. Immorality and idolatry are the byproducts of her teaching. She is teaching compromise, compromise, compromise. What was she saying? She was saying, join the trade guilds. You go along to get along. Join the trade guilds. Why shouldn't you join? Why? Why? Every one of those trade guilds had their own elaborate god. They had special feast days, but they also engaged in very sinful, wicked, immoral behavior. And so, why should they? Well, because if you weren't a member of a trade guild in Thyatira, you were an outcast. Your business was probably never going to get off the ground you are going to struggle getting started and probably struggle keeping it going because you are not a member of the in crowd. You are not a member of one of the trade guilds. You would have extreme ostracism, ostracism and poverty. And she said, listen, just cool it now. Don't get too serious about this Christian stuff. Just be a member of both. You can be a Christian and a church member and and love Jesus, and you can be a member of this group. Now, obviously i'm not going to say here that we just drop out and become hermits and that's that's not what the text is saying at all and that we don't participate in the life of culture but what he is saying is that there's some things that we know just inherently know what christians we don't need to be a part of that's and I'm going, to, I'm going to show you what he means by that she just said you can do both you can be a christian and you can be in a trade guild